Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. Give to God the things that belong to God. Please be seated. Whose face is on your money? Way back in 2015 or so, Joe and I went to see Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he gave a talk that included talking about the growing anti-science bias in our culture. He used money as an example. Not just what do we spend our money on, but what's on the money itself. He then showed up on the, the Jumbotron, this was a big event, pictures of currency from all around the world that had on, on it not just princes and politicians, but scientists and artists and cultural figures who had nothing at all to do with government. This was kind of a revelation to me that current that around the world it's a normal thing, if not expected, to put the faces of people on them on cash that are, are scientists and artists and, and intellectuals and cultural heroes. But not here in America, of course, where we can't even get Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill until 2030. It is happening, but my goodness, that took a little while. The fact is, that coin in your pocket or that bill in your wallet is a powerful symbol. I mean, think about what an amazing thing we have, that we as human beings have, have evolved this, this killer app called money. Think about it. What do we, we are biological creatures. What do we need more than anything else? And we need it three times a day. We need food. And I can go into a building called a store, and all I give them is worthless paper, and they give me food. This And it all works out. This is, this is what money is. Well, that paper money connects to something else. To an assumption of value or wealth or, or even power. In that transaction, in that coin in your pocket, we have a great connecting point between individual prosperity and common life. It's one place where our faith meets the world. And because it's a symbol with such incredible power, it causes us to think and do things that aren't always in line with our values if we're not paying attention. And it's made even more potent by this question of whose image is actually on the coin. Which is a long way of saying that when the Pharisees and the Herodians try to trap Jesus, to throw an impossible bind at him, he moves towards that play rather than away from it. He says, I see what you're doing and I raise you. And he says, go ahead, go into your pockets, take out, take out the coin. 
The Pharisees thought that they had Jesus cornered. Teacher, they say, if this relationship with God is so all-encompassing and not to be mediated by human authorities, they were a little bit bitter about that one, how do you justify supporting the emperor through your taxes? Do you not, they asked with a nod to the, to the Herodians in the room, which I think they regarded as sellouts, do you not become complicit in an earthly regi regime that really has nothing at all to do with this way of love that you talk so much about? There's lots of layers to this one, don't you think? It was meant to be an impossible choice, a bind. Now, I think we all know a little bit about what that feels like. We know what it's like to be put in a situation where the choice is offered. We know that no matter which one we choose, something is going to go wrong with it. And no matter which one we choose, as faithfully and thoughtfully as we do it, we are going to make somebody mad. Has anybody ever been in this situation before? I have been in this. Thank you. I see some hands. Definitely know what, what that feels like. These, um, this is all a part of our lives so often in our personal and family lives, in our community and cultural lives, in our national and global world. These are the choices that we, we say there is no good option. We know we have to make them as faithful as we can, and yet they still, it still makes our stomach turn when we think about it. We are witnessing this right now. For how many years have we heard from the Middle East as Israeli citizens have feared for their safety? as Palestinians have suffered under the weight of oppression. How many times have we heard that there are no good choices and that history has narrowed the options to a point of impossibility? And these situations, these impossible situations, they happen all the time. And I want to suggest to you that there is a common denominator to most of them and that's something that we get a window on when Jesus says, take that coin out of your pocket and tell me who you give to and tell me who demands that you must be loyal to them through your taxes or your refusal to pay your taxes. Because when I think of these impossible situations, I think about loyalty. Now, I know that's, that's a good thing in many ways. I and mean, we think of it, what, a, a scout is loyal. A good friend is loyal. A soldier is loyal. And, and yes, at that level, that is absolutely a good thing. But how often does this idea of loyalty get twisted around to the point where suddenly we are being, we having our loyalty demanded of us? How often have we found that that loyalty actually means you have to stand with me even though the things that I am doing or saying don't line up so well with what you believe, with what your values are? 
we are told we must be loyal to Israel, even though Palestinians have lived in poverty and strife for generations. Or that we must stand with Palestine, which forces us to overlook Hamas's vicious attacks on innocent civilians. Or closer to home, we must be loyal to a political party or to a work colleague or to, or to a family member or to someone who is, we're not so sure is doing the right thing and yet we have this loyalty demanded of us. That's when a situation becomes impossible. When, whether consciously or unconsciously, we are being called to, to, to follow along in the steps of someone who has ceased to really act in line with what we believe and then digs in and tells us, it's my way or the highway. One of the messages of the emperor's coin, this, this, this passage is that in God's economy, there are no such thing, things as impossible choices. This kind of bind only exists in the imagination of the Pharisees. This kind of bind only exists in the mind of those who demand your loyalty, who probably are focused more on their own ego needs than, than, than God's world. If you find yourself in a situation where there are no impossible, that where all choices are impossible, there's probably some ego somewhere in the mix, and I suggest you try to find where that begins. Jesus, when, when, they, when put in a bind, Jesus redirects. He doesn't actually answer their question because that's where the trap lies, right there in that forced narrowing, in that either or that takes a vision of the larger world and reduces it to which side demands our loyalty. We must approach every situation with a sense of the universal scope of God's love, which is so much larger than sides, so much larger than grievances, so much larger than eyes for eyes and teeth for teeth. Indeed, if that broad love is our guidepost, which includes grief and heartache for those who have lost their lives, for those who have lost so much, if that love is what we follow, then there is no answer but to relentlessly and tirelessly work for peace and justice. There is no hour that war cannot be, that is so final that war cannot be avoided. There is no Rubicon crossing that cannot be walked back because in the end, we must wage peace. Not to satisfy the ego needs or the loyalty demands of the powerful or the most extreme or even the most wounded, 
but rather to care for the innocent on all sides who suffer the most. I heard a rabbi say on NPR this week that the real conflict here is not Israelis and Palestinians. It is not even Muslims and Jews. It is those who know only how to escalate and move towards places of greater violence and those who envision another way, who hunger for another way forward. There is no such thing as an impossible choice. Jesus takes this supposed bind and he turns it into a great teaching. He said, takes out the coin. He says, go ahead, pay your taxes, pay the emperor what is due to the emperor. If that shocks you, that's okay. It's all right. We do owe something to the emperor or to the nation or to the city because we are a part of it. Jesus wasn't calling for revolution because if you're going to start a rebellion, then, then you're probably going to have to get violent. And then if, if somehow you're successful, then you're going to have to replace what you had with, with something new. And that thing that you're going to replace it with is probably going to have to be a theocracy. And let's just be honest, theocracy just take too much management. I mean, I love a great theologian, but how many of you want your theologians to be managing sewer systems? Neither do I, not one bit. But more to the point, we are a part of this wonderful world that God has created. And we contribute to the common life. So yes, pay your taxes. But also, advocate for taxation that is fair and creates opportunities for all. Speak up for the voiceless. Work tirelessly for justice within the empire. Do so lovingly and nonviolently. And vote. We owe that as well. Make a plan. Get a friend of the polls, throw a party, and, and, then, and then everybody go vote together. We have an election coming up. They've already started um, early voting. We are voting on a constitutional amendment to allow abortion, which our church has spoken in favor of. We're voting for a tax levy for community colleges. We're voting for the legalization of cannabis for adults. I'm saving that for another sermon entirely. In my town, we're voting for a school bond. I'm informing you here. I'm not directing you how to vote. Not that you would uh, take directions anyway. But rather, I want to suggest that the answer to this question of what do we owe the emperor is not just, yes, we owe our taxes, but we owe our voices and our votes as well. That coin in your pocket, that credit in your account has so much power. 
It can make us think and do things that are, that are non-linear, that are contrary to what we know we really believe and what we really believe in. And that's why Jesus takes it out for everyone to look at. So he could demythologize the cult of the emperor while also debunking this idea that there is a false choice. This is not an either-or thing, he said, but rather a question of starting with the infinite love of God and then keeping everything else in its right place. How does, how does the commercial go? What's in your wallet? Right? Have you seen that? Right? This sermon brought to you by whatever bank that is. What's in your wallet? It's actually a really good question. And I think the best answer to that question, what's in your wallet, is it's only money. It's only paper and a little bit of copper, maybe. And, and which pales in comparison to the goodness of God. To the infinite nature of God's love. But it does speak to how we live and love in this world. If we, I think this is why Jesus used the coin. If we are nothing more than the sum of our loyalties and, and our, our adversaries, if that's all we are, then we shouldn't be surprised if things are just going to revert to violence. Jesus instead teaches us something else. Teaches about what we might call fidelity. Where our faithfulness and our deep heartfelt desire to see one another thrive. That is what holds us together. In your pocket... You have a powerful symbol where our inner lives and our outer worlds meet. It has the power to build, but it also has the power to destroy, regardless of whose face is on it. Hold it lightly. Keep everything in its right place. And you will know freedom. Freedom.